irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill only on LA Talk Radio. Well, happy Monday, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill. Today's show is brought to you by Markham Search. Markham Search offers premier professional recruiting services throughout the United States. So we always like to take a moment and thank our sponsors of the show. And today we have with us Amy Leinbach. Amy is the founder and owner of Big B Little B, a manufacturer and retailer of innovative juvenile products. Through her brand, she has created two award-winning products for the family-friendly consumer products industry, the Snow Angel Cushioned Baby Bath Towel and the Scrub B Body Brush. In addition to running her own business, Amy is a mom and a voiceover actor. She began her professional career in the field of education first as a special educator and later as the director of product management for Kaplan Virtual Education. She graduated from Pepperdine University with a bachelor's degree in communication and a master's in educational administration. She lives in Huntington Beach, California with her husband, daughter, and two dogs. Thanks so much for joining us, Amy. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a lot of fun because you and I have known each other many, many years, and I am just so inspired. I mean, I remember when you and I first kind of met, and you told me, weren't you the voice of uh, Tricks for Kids, the rabbit thing back in the day when you were a little girl? I remember thinking, I'm having like drinks with a celebrity. This is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Hardly a celebrity, but yes, part of pop culture. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, an important part of pop culture. So tell our (laughs) listeners who might not know you as intimately as I do a little bit about your career and how it was that you went to become a voiceover actress and then, um, you know, eventually in education and an entrepreneur. Oh, my gosh, it's been such such a winding, winding path. But I began in voiceover actually when I was very young, I think seven or eight years old. And that was kind of accidental. I always sounded very young um, and just fell into that industry and really did it on and off for years and years. I feel like there's only been a few years in my life when I didn't do it. Now is probably the only time where I'm starting to uh, have difficulty balancing that, which we can talk about uh, a bit later, but finding time to to do voiceover with everything that's going on for the new business. Um, But out of college, I had passion for education, and I um, studied special education, taught for years, Um, and then moved into positions in educational um, management and training. And then when I had Marlo, um, I stopped working, and then eight months later, dove right into creating my own business. So I wasn't very good (laughs) at not working. The plan was was not to work, but um, I created an invention, and, and off I went, and now... I am very much in the thick of running Big B, Little B. So that's a very windy path. So tell me a little bit about how do you even go about inventing? Let's say you have somebody out there who might be listening and tuning in today and they're thinking, well, gosh, that sounds like she's just smart and it's easy and you have to have a background in engineering or science. Were you always an inventor? Was that something that you just naturally had? Yes. 
I think I've always had it in me. I've always been creating, creating, creating constantly, but I don't, until recently, I didn't have the confidence um, to, let's say, take it seriously or, or believe that it could actually be a job. I was always very scared of business. They, this might seem funny to some, but I've always been terrible at math. And <laughs> I always associated math with business. And so I was like, well, that'd be all well and good, but you have to do business. And business means, means math. And that could never be something that I do. So I'd always been creating and inventing for myself. So I can remember, you know, projects like, I don't know if anybody remembers Highlights for Children, they still publish it, but they used to have, you could build things in the back. And I said, okay, well, they give me instructions for creating things. Well, I can create my own thing. So I've always (laughs) been doing that. And I've always loved problem solving. So while I've, I guess, officially started developing products in, let's say, the last, I don't know, six or so years. I've been doing it much longer than that, but I have no background, no education background in engineering. I have no background in business, no background in marketing. Um, I just think, think of ideas and, and fairly recently I've just decided that, you know what, when I think of them, I'm going to test them out, see if they have any um, merit and, and know about creating it. Um, but I make that sound like a, a fairly like simple process. And in some ways it is, and in some ways it isn't. Um, so you said when some people have an idea, do you want me to talk about the snow angel and that idea? Yeah, that, came about? that would be great. Yeah. Because again, I think it's, I think so many of us sit here and we have these ideas and we think, Oh, this is genius. And it's missing in the marketplace. And yet some people go on to be Ubers and come up with something like that. And mm-hmm. some of us sit there and just are so thwarted by the idea of how overwhelming it seems to even begin the execution of an idea. So yeah, please talk everybody through what that would look like or how it went for you. Of course. Happy to. So my daughter, Marlo, she was about eight months old. And, um, For those of you who have little ones or have bathed little ones in the past, you know it can be a wiggly, um, stressful process, especially when it's time to get the baby out of the bath. So when we would do bath time in my household, actually my husband Rob usually did the bathing and I would do a lot of the observing because it just stressed (laughs) me out. And, uh, And so I had a lot of time to just kind of witness how flawed process was taking the baby out and getting them dry. And there were a million towels involved. We'd stack towels on the counter and then lie her down on top of those towels. And I just thought there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I looked on Amazon because that's where I shop. <laughs> and um, I looked for a cushion bath towel because I thought, why don't I have a cushion bath towel? I should have a bath towel with a cushion on the back because why do I have three towels stacked on my countertop when I just need a cushion towel? And I couldn't find it. And um, when I couldn't find it on Amazon, I dug in a little bit deeper. Google, Google, Google could not find a cushion towel. Now, meaning like a pillow-like bag in the back of a towel. And I figured out that didn't exist. So I thought, okay, I'll just make one. But I don't sew. So um, <laughs> I just did the best I could. And I went to Joanne's Fabrics. And I, and I got some terry cloth. And I got, I think at the time, the first prototype had fleece inside of the cushion because I don't know why I didn't think of like polyester fill but I used fleece (laughs) and I 
by hand this really terrible looking um, <laughs> diamond shaped towel with a cushion in the back. And, and I threw it in the washing machine because of course I'm going to wash it before I give it to my child. And it, and it fell apart because I didn't know you oh. have to bind the edges or they, they shrivel. And I showed oh a picture gosh. to my friend and she said, just make another one. And I was like, okay, I'll make another one. Because it was a long process, the whole thing by hand. I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I'll make another one. And when I went to make the other one, this would make more sense if, if you guys um, look up at some point and see what the towel looks like. It, it might make more sense. But I decided I had built that cushion into a traditional diamond-shaped towel. But when I was making my second version, I was like, I don't actually like the diamond-shaped towel. The way that it works on a baby is like the shoulders are kind of naturally exposed. It just doesn't use the available fabric very well. So I thought, well, why don't I just change that since I'm making another version anyway? And I turn the fabric on its side and kind of strategically split it in parts to create these wings. And, um, and then I bound the edges because lesson learned. And <laughs> I made this very ugly looking, but very functional towel for my daughter. And after using it with her for a little while, I thought, there might be something here, you know, hmm. this, this works really well. And, um, from there, put it into what I'll call like a short production run. So you make just a few pieces at a local place. Um, but just to try to take some of the, the magic sounding, the mystery out of that, that meant I found a seamstress. And mm -hmm. then I said, this is my yucky looking version. Can you please <laughs> make this? Same thing. Can you make it nice? And okay, I can make it nice. And then from there, a pattern maker. You reverse out of what the pretty one she made, and we made a pattern. And, and that's what I, I mean by saying it, it can be easy or it can be hard. It just depends on how you look at the steps. So if you look at step A, like, I just had an idea. I thought it existed. It turns out that it didn't. And I made a very rudimentary version of it. Then step two, find someone who can make it just a little bit better. Um, and from there, you know, then you just keep looking at those really, really small steps from nicer version, back out of it, create a pattern. From a pattern, find somebody who can make a hundred of them. I happen to live not far from downtown LA, so there were resources. How did I find the resources? Google, 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 all the time, right? <laughs> keep asking, keep searching. Um, and I feel like that that's true for now, so, so for, for more of the products that I've been creating since then, um, it may be harder than textile. Like somebody says, okay, well, that's textile. So you can go to the fabric store and you can sell it. But what if the product is metal? What if it's um, plastic? How do you just create that? Um, and that may seem more complicated. But if you back out of that question and just think, okay, well, could I create something out of the materials on hand? I have a product in the works right now. I'm using corrugated cardboard for something that will ultimately be made out of plastic, right? I need, I need to create some version because I can't sketch. I can't draw to save my life, but I'm oh. great with duct tape and cardboard. <laughs> and uh, my latest prototype with all the connections I've made is still just in corrugated cardboard. You know, so... so how do you do, like, my question becomes, because some people are thinking, well, gosh, as you're going through this process, 
And you might go to the seamstress or you might go to these, the person who's going to pattern it for you. How do you protect yourself to make sure that he or she or whomever you're partnering with doesn't go off and steal your idea and do it better, quicker, faster, cheaper? That is such a great question. It's actually my favorite question that I don't have a great answer to, but I'll give you my opinion (laughs) on it. (laughs) Because it's always a question of, do you prefer? protect before you create or do you create before you protect and here's why I say like it's really like it's really opinion because if you protect an idea or a design before you actually create a prototype or several prototypes to test you don't actually know if you have a product right because until you really create it and and put it in front of some people to try you actually don't know if it's going to work so you'd look at that and go, well, then I wouldn't protect first because that's a lot of money and it might not turn into a product. However, if you don't protect and you, you go that other path and you say, well, I'm just going to see if I have something first, so I'm going to create it, get all those couple of people involved, then I'm going to test it out on all these other people and it's not protected, somebody can steal it. So I can see the case for both actions, right? Save the money and then just see if you have a product or spend the money and then see if you have a product. I always spend the money first before mm. I show it to anyone. I would do, let's say, the least protection I can, like a provisional patent or design patent. Um, the strongest would be utility. It takes a very long time. It's extremely expensive, but it always protects in some way first because I'm paranoid. <laughs> and exactly. I, I really like, I, I don't want to take my chances. You know, I'm not, I might be the minority on that. Yeah. And I can see both sides of it. And that's the other thing that I'm sure some people think about of, gosh, well, who has the money and the resources or how do I even find a patent attorney? Or if they're in your case, what do they do if they don't know how to draw? How does, is the attorney the one who draws it based on the specs that you give he or she? So what are, what are your thoughts on some of those points? If somebody out there is thinking, A, can I even afford to protect it before it becomes a legitimate product? And B, where do you go and who do you go to for something like that? I think, well, I'll, I'll address the who do you go to first because it's, it's an easier question. There are patent attorneys and it will save you money if you can bring them some artwork, but almost always they're going to change your artwork anyway because it's going to turn into a very technical drawing. So even if you had a sketch, that sketch is going to become a technical patent drawing. So you don't have to sweat it. Like I could give my corrugated cardboard thing to my patent attorney (laughs) and he would turn it into, and has, and has, he probably would be listening to this and going, and she has done this. Um, And he has, he, his technical artist turns it into drawing. So you don't have to worry about that. Oftentimes, if you, you just try to communicate as best you can and you can, you know, say it in words, you can find things that are sort of like it. There's a lot of ways to communicate your idea into a sketch, um, working with a patent attorney or working with somebody you absolutely positively trust who does have a little bit of skill in that area. Um, as far as the money goes, I feel like, again, this is just my opinion, I feel like you have to have the money to protect your um, idea because you have to go into this knowing that this will cost you money. Taking your product um, idea 
and bringing it to prototype and bringing it to an actual product, it's all going to cost you money. And just for the sake of like this conversation, I'll give you kind of an, an idea of what we're talking about. And okay. the patent work will, will cost you a couple of thousand dollars. It will definitely cost you at bare, bare minimum, bare minimum at thousand dollars to begin. Um, prototyping, if you do it on your own, that's different. You know, with the terry cloth and all of that, you're talking, you know, a couple hundred dollars in work. If you're going to do 3D printing, uh, your 3D design and print is going to cost you in the vicinity of $1,500. So you really have to have some money to start with. Um, if you want to design a product, if you're going to license an idea, that's a whole different conversation. But if you're going to create a product, you've got to have some cash on hand, be it from you or friends and family, but you have to have a plan to have some cash reserve to make it happen. Um, I'm self-funded. So I've, I saved and saved and saved. And I feel like I began really inventing at the right time in my life because I saved for this for a long time. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some money involved. So a couple of tips that I would recommend to people out there who just might think this is insurmountable and I don't have savings. I think there was some statistic that I read recently that the average American has less than a thousand dollars in their savings account, which let's turn that around. I want to see everybody making hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, which is part of what this show is about, is giving people access to many different ways to make money and find something you're passionate about. But to go back to your point about it, I, one thing I learned the hard way when I had opened my company, again, not a product company, a service company about nine years ago, was that you have to have credit in order to be able to mm-hmm. kind of get a loan and have a business be open. So say if you're just percolating and you have an idea and you might not have friends or family or a savings account, I would recommend just take what, do whatever it takes and go and open a business banking account because it's only, I think, after the third or fifth year that you can start getting business loans for, you know, $10,000, exactly. $50,000. So if you're proactive and you think this is something you might want to do down the road, I would encourage you to start doing it now. Plant the seed. Do something to take that baby step towards your dream or your vision of whatever that might be. And that's, that's fantastic advice. And I think there's, there's, always, there's also always creative ways to go about it. The, what I mentioned about having money has a lot to do with if you want to do this 100% yourself, let's say, but if you're willing to share the pie, there's a lot of people who will do some of this early work for a percentage, you know, you want to work with a 3D designer and a printer, you might not have cash to lay out. Um, you could offer them a piece, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to make it happen. Just knowing that it takes money, to, to, you know, yeah. to get going. There's also resources like they didn't have before, like, you know, crowdfunding. A lot Kickstarter of and all of those. With, exactly. A lot of people I see in my industry are doing crowdfunding. And I think it's great because we, I think that maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, the opportunity, like you were saying earlier with Google, just to be able to find the resources and whether the resources means money, information, the right attorney, whoever it is, I think that we're kind of set upon the precipice for entrepreneurship to explode and, you know, to go to this next level. And I think it's great too. I know you're not a fan of the term, but we're going to have to address it. The mompreneur thing. How do you feel about this term? (laughs) Yeah, the whole mompreneur thing, because then it's kind of singling out moms rather than just being an entrepreneur. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I know there are a lot of moms out there who are taking on 
creating things and creating new businesses? It's because I am such a fan of all people, including moms, (laughs) going after what they want, creating their own things, following their visions that, yeah, you know, I'm just not a fan of the term. I don't feel that entrepreneur ever should be, needs to be qualified. You know, my husband, he's an employee. He works for Amazon, right? But let's say he were the entrepreneur in the house. We don't really call him a dadpreneur. So (laughs) that's the only reason I don't know why I should be called a mompreneur. Mom is, you know, I feel my most most important role right now. Um, So passionate about my role as entrepreneur, passionate about my role as philanthropist. Um, But I don't, you know, blend those in a term. So I am so all for um, championing moms um, becoming entrepreneurs. And I think that there are, I think so many of the people that I talk to, and I have people coming up to me at least every other day saying, I have an idea or this, I had an idea once and all this stuff. And almost all of them are moms. Like, well, you you should follow it. You should see if there's something there. I would say 80% of the people, maybe more that I talk to are moms who have these great ideas. So yeah, and it, not a fan we, of the term, fan of them doing the <laughs> Yeah, and I think it does pigeonhole people. It's less about just trying to get the hot buzzword of the day. But hey, in a world where Twitter feeds are still important and hashtags still rule the world, unfortunately, we do have say, just to come. <laughs> as much as I dislike the term, you will see me using the hashtag on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you know... I don't hate it that much. Well, so that brings us actually to a good point. So say you've done the work. It sounds like you've laid the groundwork. You've had the invention. You've gone out there. You've created a prototype. You've hired a patent attorney perhaps at some point. You have the initial kind of foundation financially of what you need to get it started. How do you begin to market? How do you create and develop a following for that? So before following... Um, sales channel, if I may. May I talk about sales channels? Please, I, uh, it's all news to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. So, you know, because you were talking about how this day and age and how we have Google and access to information, this day and age is actually also gold for, for having the opportunity to reach customers, right? So we want that awareness, but we, we need them to know where to purchase it. Right. And this, let's say 20 years ago with a juvenile product, I would have had to have gotten into Toys R Us, Babies R Us. I don't even know when Bye Bye Baby began, but, you know, the major retailers that were brick and mortar. If a customer were to learn about me, they would have had to have learned, learned about me in a brick and mortar store. Right. Nowadays, a customer can learn about me through the sales channels of my own creation. For example, anyone who has a product can create their own website, as we know, and you can integrate e-commerce. So if I have a product and you're my potential customer, you can buy directly from me, and people do this all the time. That gift wasn't available to us all those years ago. Um, I have a sales channel on Amazon. Pretty much anybody can have a sales channel on Amazon. That wasn't available years ago. So... One way that we reach now to to address your question is how do we get those eyeballs? How do we raise brand awareness? I would say that is probably at this point in my business, 
one of the greatest challenges, if not, no, the greatest challenge. Um, hmm. How do I get people to know about my product? Because my Snow Angel, for example, has been on the market for, I think, two years at this point. And it has, you know, like, I don't know, well, over four stars on Amazon. It has no return, um, great, like tons of reviews. And if you search hooded baby towels on Amazon with over four stars, my snow angel will come up on page 19 in the search, which means if you're doing an organic search, you're never going to be presented with my towel Hmm. um, at this point. So how do you move forward in the organic search? And the similar kind of metrics and stuff for Google, let's say, right? Because it all takes seasoning and time and all of that. So how do we, how do we increase those numbers? You've got to get people looking for you specifically. How do we get people looking for you on Google? How do we get them looking for you on Amazon? Brand awareness. How do we do that? Social media at this point. Um, strategic partnerships. Um, just growing your, your social following. And not just in numbers, but real um, just getting people who are engaged in your brand, giving them stuff that they're interested in. Like you do a phenomenal job at this about pushing education out, bringing topics forward that interest people. So it can't just be about your product, your product, your product. It, it can never be all about your product. I think they say something like 20% of what you share out should be about your product. I'm not, don't quote me, but the rest <laughs> has to be, you know, like what people, you know, the, the, bring them value beyond what you're trying to sell them. But I will say that that is my greatest challenge is, is finding the customers. I'm getting there, but it takes time. And to that credit, um, you know, bit of advice that you gave that's like gold, it's kind of the same thing for social. So let's say you have an idea um, and it's just percolating and you haven't put any money into it. It really won't hurt you to build a social account. Name your brand first, you know, <laughs> and, and start building your social early. Start following the people that you think, you know, if, if you know it's a juvenile product, start following the mom bloggers. Try to get them to follow you back. Start sharing content that has nothing to do with your product idea, but is in the, the genre of what you plan to do. It won't hurt. It's just like building your credit. It's just building social credit. That's one Great. thing I wish I had done. Yeah, that's great advice. And I completely concur with you on that. Because in my experience, when I started my brand at my company in 2009, right when the recession had hit, I just started blogging and interviewing people and a social media rule that I kind of stumbled upon, if you will, it's not hard fast, but it's something that I found to be very effective is the 30, 30, 30 rule, which is 30% of your time keeping it personal. So sharing, you know, about you and your family or your dogs or the husband or whatever's going on or trips you're on. So people feel connected to you as an individual, 30% sharing other people's products, articles related to the industry, forwarding education, helping create awareness of the industry as a whole, then the last 30% of your time would be spent promoting products, offering specials, targeting your audience. And then if that's done well, then the last 10% of your time should be interacting with your followers and not just talking at people, but talking with people and engaging them. And that's been my experience of how I've kind of approached social media over the last, you know, 10 years or so. I love it. I was close. Yeah, it's, it's made up. That's all. I just took notes on this. Exactly. But I just wrote all that down. 
because I think yeah. one thing I didn't see up front was that interaction. And I, I think, and I'm not going to try to interpret what you were saying, but what I have learned with the interaction part is, yes, people say, oh, I, I respond when people comment on my post. Right. But are you commenting on their post? Right. Yeah. Are you, you know, like it's not just about you and, and your feed and your account, but, but their feeds and their account and, and acknowledging that they have valuable content if they do, you know, um, I think it's part of that. That's how I've gotten a lot of quality followers back. Yeah. And to the point on that, I've had a couple friends. So one of my friends owns her own advertising agency, another one of my and specializes in social media and another friend owns her own PR agency. And both of them, what they did is they would get college students who were specializing in social um, digital marketing or marketing in general. And they would get these college students and it would create a win-win. The kids would get an opportunity, either paid or unpaid, maybe paid just a low amount or an unpaid internship for college credit. And then they would come in and they would test some of these theories and respond to things and interact with followers. And from the people I know who are big time influencers, that's been a clever technique that they've used is it creates a win-win strategic alliance between you and the various colleges and then providing you with interns, which then, when, especially when you're starting off and you don't have the capital to hire a full-time digital marketing specialist, that's something that could be a resource for you. So if you talk to me six months from now, I think uh, my goal is what you'll hear is that that's what I have done because I'm about to do that now. <laughs> I'm going to follow that advice. <laughs> I love that idea. And I'm going to build a team <laughs> yeah, and with it's my local about, colleges. And it's about sharing. It's about strategic alliances. These colleges, these kids are dying for experience because it's so hard for them to get a real job in the real world that might pay them good money without any relevant work experience. So it's really creating these amazing win-win opportunities. And I've seen a lot of my other friends who are successful in the service industry of building their brands that way. So it's it's about strategic alliances. I love it. Love so. Tell us a little bit about Amazon, because I know this whole Amazon, this behemoth, this thing that is controlling the world. Uh, and yet, like you said, it's giving us so much opportunity. How easy or challenging is it to utilize Amazon as a sales channel? So it is extremely easy to get your product listed on Amazon. Um, if you, I mean, there are a couple ways to go about it. I choose to be my own distributor, meaning I sell my product. I have Amazon fulfill it, not worth going into, but basically like I have my own account, let's say. And, um, and I post my product for sale and I send, let's say, 100 to Amazon's fulfillment center. And when an order comes in, they fill the order. Great. Super easy. Logistically, it's terrific. Um, but actually getting people to see your listings is an entirely different game. And I feel like what I have spent the majority of my energy learning this past year is all to do with Amazon. And what's important to know about Amazon is I don't think at, at least in the way I see them doing business now, and I don't see any changes in the near future, I don't think you're going to be able to say, yes, I have learned Amazon. It's never going to be like a, a, you know, a final thing. It is an ongoing process. Um, that is something where if I am going to be looking for um, assistance and interns and strategic alliance, it's actually going to be in the area of figuring out how to, how to use Amazon best. 
because of my selling on Amazon? Yes, I move products every single day. Boom, 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 moving it around. But am I getting the organic, um, you know, search results that I want? Not yet. And so I think it's important to know that selling on Amazon is available to everybody. It's relatively easy. But if you want to get on it and really make the best of it, you kind of have to commit to staying on top of it because they're changing all the time. Why are they changing? Because they, their goal, I don't think it's any secret, right? Their goal is to be the best, the mm. biggest. And they are constantly learning. So they keep the customer, meaning the me customer, the selling customer, on their toes all the time. Things are changing constantly. Every single day I have to be in the back office of that system just making slight tweaks, keeping my eyes on things and, 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 and making tweaks. There are other ways to go about it. You don't have to have your own account. There are people like, um, like you know, whole, the concept of wholesaling, right? When yes. A lot of times products uh, are in stores. Like, let's say I sold to Buy Buy Baby. They'd be making a wholesale purchase from me and reselling it retail. They do that on Amazon, too. There are, there are um, wholesalers that work on Amazon. Then it becomes their business um, to to get those products moving. I choose to learn the game myself. You don't have to. Yeah, and so you, you brought up another good point about the big boys and the big girls out there that you might perhaps be competing with Johnson & Johnson or other companies out there that are household names like a Kleenex, but for the baby world. So how do you navigate once you're in this, uh, you know, in this business of the baby world, how do you navigate working against the big boys or do you, is it, are you, do you even see them as competition or do you focus on your own specific niche area? I see. Yes and no. I see them as competition because if we think in terms in one way, if we think in terms of a baby registry, uh, a new mom or dad is building their baby registry of all the things that they believe they need in advance of, you know, a baby coming into their lives. So they're going to add however many towels, they're going to add some clothes, they're going to add a changing pad, all those things, right? So in that sense, there definitely is competition because so many brands offer a diaper changing pad and so many brands offer teethers and rattles and all of that stuff. So we are definitely competing. Now, not necessarily me and the big boys or me and the, all the other little guys, but all of us are competing to get that registry ad, to get that sale, right? So in one sense, yeah, it's a big competition. In the other sense, again, it's this day and age, we're, we're kind of on a level playing field because if a mom is on Amazon building her registry or the dad is on Amazon building his registry, um, I have a listing and Carter's has a listing. I have a listing and Pop <laughs> has a listing, right? Like it's, it's the same amount of space and that's incredible, right? So yes, I can get higher space if I have Carter's kind of dollars to do Amazon advertising. But in that sense, you know, yes, we're in competition, but it's kind of a level playing field if you look at it that way. Um, the other side of it is, I try not to look at this. This is more like this is my learning and a real confidence builder for me. I think I used to look at things in terms of being the best, creating the best. I think this is a word that we hear so often. Well, if you can't be the best, you can't be the best, this, the best that, or you be the best. 
um, I think it just kind of, I mean, it generally means, right, that somebody else is not as good or something is not as good. And I think I, it was kind of hit me like a ton of bricks maybe last year that I don't know that I'm striving to be the best. Do I have to be the best over Carter's or the best over Skip Hop? I need to create things that are excellent. If mm. I just commit to creating an excellent product, it is excellent in my eyes. And I can maybe look at their product. Let's say they have a towel, right? And I can look at their product by specific metrics. If we're talking about a towel, we're always going to talk about softness first, right? Is my right. towel as soft as theirs? Is it softer? Is it less soft? Is my towel as big as theirs? Does it wash as easily? Does it hold up? All of those specific metrics. But I don't need to say, is my towel the best towel, right? I want my, job, my product to do an excellent job at what it does. And then let the parent but, or the consumer, whatever the product is, let the consumer determine what is best for them and their family, right? My towel assumes that you're drying the baby on a level surface. Some people never like to put their baby down, right? They're holding the baby. They're going to bring the towel to their body, and they're going to wrap the baby all while holding them, the baby. To me, I didn't like getting wet. I, I don't I personally don't <laughs> love that process, right? I'm like, now I'm down, and she's wiggly, and when Rob would do it, it would just make me nervous. But some people who do it that way, well, my towel is not the best. The, there's another kind of style of towel that I think is the best for that process. But my towel is excellent. It is excellent at what it does. And so I feel like that's what keeps me going in these talks against the big boys. They have a product, and, and maybe it's excellent, and I have a product, and it's excellent. And the, and the consumer gets to decide what is best for their family. And I think that's how I just keep going. It is my job to keep creating things that are excellent. Does that make sense? Okay, Steve Jobs. I'm going to start calling you SJ. <laughs> no, but all kidding aside, I think that's what I, I'm sure there's quotes out there from Steve Jobs talking about the are same there, thing I've with never, Apple. I got a read on him that night. Yeah, I know. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's just funny. It's a good thing. Hey, I'm holding you in esteem with yeah, Steve Jobs. I love Jobs, it. So. I love it. I love it. You, you could be the Steve Jobs of the baby world. <laughs> I love it. very happy to be that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. And I think that's a great goal to strive for because women compared to men, and again, not all women, but I think we're designed differently. We tend to compare ourselves. Like we're a harder judge of each mm. other and of ourselves and how successful or not successful and do we have the right product or am I doing the right job or creating the right thing? And I think sometimes guys care to a certain extent. Obviously, Steve Jobs was extraordinary at what he did. But I think that if you try to be the best, you're always going to set yourself up for failure because there's always going to be, like you said, a towel that's better for somebody else because yep. it's designed for somebody else. And so I think that's great advice is just to let it go and not have to feel like you're being the best, but just feel like you're putting your heart and soul into it creating the most excellent product or service or whatever it is that your heart desires or that you're passionate about. And it's, you know, I think that's a great way to go about it. So I think that's something that we can all take away from this. And I feel like if there's one thing I hear, like I said, I talk to a, a lot of people who have an idea. That's where I feel like they kill the idea most of the time is in the, the early, early stages. And they're like, well, if, such, if Johnson & Johnson didn't create this 
ear cleaner, who knows, right? <laughs> if they couldn't figure out how to do solve this problem better, how, why would I, why would mine? They probably thought of that. Like, you know what? They might not have, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like they, it's sometimes people are so quick to kill their idea um, based on the, the feeling that they wouldn't do it the best. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just about the approach. Sometimes it really just might be the, the way you found in the p- specific problem you're trying to solve in the specific way. You know, Johnson and Johnson might not have ever thought of that. Yeah. And maybe you one day you can get bought, but you might get bought by Johnson and Johnson. So that's exactly. some people create companies with the end goal in sight of wanting to eventually be acquired by a larger company. So totally. that's another thought. Totally. That's amazing. So you've given so much. I mean, Amy, you've been so transparent and shared things that I feel like anybody who tuned into today's show could basically have an A to Z step-by-step process of how to go out and invent something. All they need the idea now is to get out there to market. Was there anything I didn't ask you or anything we didn't cover that you would love to share any takeaways for anybody from today's show? I, I would. I would. And I think this is for the, um, those who want to be mompreneurs, I'll use the word. Um, the question I get asked most frequently, and it sits so poorly with me is how do I do it all? How do I Hmm. balance everything? But when they say, how do you balance everything? I think the underlying assumption is often, how do you do it all? And I think, um, it's so important to me to communicate this. I don't. I really, I don't do it all. And I, I feel like if anybody could see the playroom in my house at any given time, you would know. I do not do it all. But I think that um, I have done no more than reheat a meal in about six weeks. It's been very busy with business. I have not cooked a meal. But my family's getting fed. Um, the playroom, it's still standing. It is, it is a disaster area, but it's still standing. And I think the important key to that is not just not doing it all, just picking the things very thoughtfully, very strategically that you really need to do, that you want to do, that move you toward your goal, not just the business goal, but the family goal, all of those things that really matter and matter now. And this can always shift. You can reevaluate every quarter, every month, whatever fits well for you. And then getting okay with what you're throwing by the wayside. Like I am just not cleaning that playroom and I am just not cooking a two hour meal. I'm just not, and I'm choosing not to feel bad about it. You know, it's just not part of the equation right now. And that doesn't mean that's going to look that way in a month, but I feel like I definitely don't do it all. I just pick very strategically what it is I'm doing. And you allow yourself to be human. So I think at the end of the day, don't try and do it all. Do go after your passion and follow your dreams. You know, all it takes is that one good idea that you're going to kick yourself one day when some big company or Amazon is on sale and you'll go, darn it, I had that idea and I could have done something with it, like Amy said. (laughs) So thank you. You never know. Well, thank you so much, Amy. So where can people find uh, Big B, Little B? Where can they find the Angel Tower or Towel? Is it on Amazon? Is that the best place to get it? Or is it direct? Is that better for you? It's, you know what, the best at this point, I would say, Search No Angel Towel on Amazon. Search Scrubby, S-C-R-U-B-B-E-E on Amazon. Because the more you search it and the more purchases I have on Amazon, the higher my rankings go. So um, Amazon is always the preferred way to purchase. Also, BigBLittleB.com is um, 
is a great way to purchase. And then coming soon, I can't mention who, but you'll see a couple of new major retailers um, carrying the product. So there's oh my gosh. stuff in the works. That's awesome, Amy. Well, thanks so much for joining us and for giving us the step-by-step guide and the how-tos and sharing all of your know-how. I know at least one or more people will now be able to go out and create something because of your generosity and sharing with us. Thank you for having me. So it's been a pleasure and uh, look forward to having everybody tune in next week. We're actually going to continue the conversation about Amazon. A friend of mine I met on a plane, Bob San, who lives with his wife in Japan, are flying out to join us for the show next week to talk about a product that they brought to market in the latter part of Bob's career as a marketing executive and Yumi as she had Bob reach retirement age and then Yumi was coming into her own after having had a career as a makeup artist and they created a product to replace Botox that is an adhesive that you can buy on Amazon. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk to them from a husband and wife business standpoint, and especially as the, you know, kind of third or fourth chapter of their life. You know, they're both in their 60s, and we're going to talk about how at any age you can still go after your dream and what it's like and how to be in partnership with somebody when you're working on that. So tune in next Monday at 4 p.m., on LA Talk Radio. And if you missed any portion of today's show, you can always find it immediately after the show on the Get Yourself the Job page on LA Talk Radio. At the bottom of the page, there's an archive there with all of the prior shows, including today's show. Or later in the week, you can also download it on iTunes under Get Yourself the Job on iTunes. So thank you so much for everybody for tuning in. And thank you, Amy, for everything you shared. Thank you. listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill only on LA Talk Radio.